So then where can corporations start? What is that first step that they need to take in order to scale innovation? I heard you, Carla, about that one of the biggest barriers is it needs to become everybody's business. But then how do they go about that? What's that first step that they take towards that? You know, I, I, for me, I think the first best step is defining clearly and in everyday language, what is innovation in our culture? Because if you ask anybody to perform an action, but they don't understand the definition of that action, they're never going to be able to perform it. They'll never be able to identify it. So if I said to both of you, okay, go sprint down the street, but you had no idea what sprint meant, you couldn't do it and you'd have hesitation and then you'd have, you'd be second guessing yourself and then you'd hesitate and you'd watch everything else that's going on, but you wouldn't really know what it looked like. And so where I ask companies to start is how do you define innovation in everyday language so that people can identify it, people know what the behavior is that manifests in, 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 uh, innovation. And then now how do we step-by-step teach them a skill that shows them how to innovate in whatever aspect of work they are, you know, whatever, whatever their position, whatever their responsibility, because in a 90% of innovation happens outside of traditional product and service line development groups. So if that's the case, how do we teach this bulk of an organization, how to have a big impact through incremental ideas. Yeah, I totally agree, Carla. And I think having that shared language and simple language is really important. And and once you have that, you need to kind of set the, you need to set the ambition, right? For what you actually want to achieve, which then helps you figure out what kind of portfolio you actually need. Mm -hmm. And within that ambition, you need to make that real for people by saying, and here's how we're going to measure it. And here are the mindsets and behaviors that we're going to need to be embodying to do this successfully, getting leaders actually to put those in things into practice and crucially actually fund it, right? Actually put in the right kind of funding mechanism. So it's not just a slush fund for innovation, but it's about how do we have a rigorous approach for sticking to, if this is our ambition, here's how much we need to put in to get out in that time frame. And here's how we're going to actively monitor what's going on to see that we're actually making use of those funds. Because I think often companies will say, we want to do innovation. Here's what we're going to try and achieve. And then it's really hard to actually get the funding together or it becomes this pet project where the funding isn't really rigorously managed. And so the funding gets squandered and then people think, well, we did that innovation thing that didn't work. So let's move on and do something else. Right. And, and I even have clients start with something as simple as just tracking how many ideas did employees present? You know, it can be by team, it can be by department, however it's tracked. How many of those actually moved into some level of execution? And then how many of those made it across the finish line? And you start to see not only that in order to have a successful, fully executed idea, you need to have a lot of ideas to start with because, you know, a lot of things change. 
And some are big ideas, some are very small ideas, but it starts to get a sense of how open is our organization to ideas? And do we really support the mindset that innovation is everybody's business? Because if it is, you should have these ideas coming from all corners of the organization. Some of them do need funding. Not all of them do, but when you look at, they go from ideation into implementation, but they don't make it across the finish line into full execution. What are those barriers that are making it not happen? Was it not the right time? Was it not the right funding? Was it you know, not the right person's pet project, whatever it is, but it helps people start to pull apart and understand their culture so that they realize what are the true factors that are holding innovation back within their culture. Yeah. And I think it's really important. You mentioned the finish line. It's really important to define when that finish line realistically is for different right. types of right? What the does done look like? Idea. Yeah. It's very different to something that's very big and disruptive. And it's really important to manage people's expectations. We're not going to see, you know, a, an appreciable impact on our PL within three months. That's just not going to happen. You need to help people understand what's the way you're going to manage it and what they should be expecting to see at different stages. And at some of those early stages, it might just be learnings and you need to set people's expectations that that's what they should expect to see. Yeah, that's a great point. So has the pandemic impacted this in any way? Do you feel that the innovation cycles have been forced to reduce even further because of the pandemic and hence the pressure to scale innovations has been uh, even stronger, uh, you know, post-pandemic? I think the pandemic's had a huge impact on innovation. I think, you know, some of the some of the practical things, it's it's harder to experiment with customers when you actually can't see them in person, right? So people have had to adapt on the fly to how they actually work. And it's it's also it's also harder or people have had to adapt to how do you actually keep teams cohesive, right? How do you keep teams anchored around a core problem when you're not getting together and sharing discussions? It, it's just different the way that you work. I think, so there's some practical differences, but I think my hope is that we'll look back at this time in several years or a couple of decades as a time when it actually became easier to get disruptive things to market because the world had to change. Everyone's perceptions and needs have changed and the acceleration of digital within the way that companies run has forced things to change. So my hope is that actually, this is actually gonna be kind of a golden age for disruptive innovations to get to market successfully in the same way that the, you know, the Great Recession created a lot of new businesses. Recession in the 1930s created a lot of new businesses. This will force a lot of change in society. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Jeff. I'm, I'm excited to go to look forward in order to look back at this time. But I think there has been so much that has just opened people's willingness to be more innovative in their thinking because what we knew as the norm, we, we knew wasn't, wasn't going to work. And so if, if um, all bets are off, then it was the perfect time to put our inhibitions down and say, well, you know, Let's test it. Let's pretend, you know, everything is different. What does it look like? And I think there was not only an openness to think differently, but a much greater willingness to consistently try new things um, across an organization 
people woke up and started to look at, wow, maybe, maybe I knew, do need to try things that are differently. I mean, I've worked with organizations that innovated their whole accounts payable process because at the beginning of the pandemic, they were meeting in parking lots in Midtown to hand off paper checks. And now they're going, okay, wait a minute, this, is, this isn't sustainable. So now how do we relook at, at how we uh, function as a core aspect of the business, but we're now forced to innovate it. And now they see the opportunity and the potential and the ability to look at new ideas that allow them to be freed up from drudgery of what had been everyday work that never would have had this kind of attention had it not been for the pandemic. And I think that's one of those aspects that's been so exciting about what we've been through these last few years. Yeah, and I, I think those changes can show up in small ways. We were working with a, a financial services company on, on building a new digital business before the pandemic. And you know, one of the major constraints around the way they could actually do the actual product development using real client data was really constrained because the company had a rule that client data could only be accessed by people who were actually in one of their buildings in a secure site. Now, clearly, and, and that had all sorts of implications in terms of the speed of development, the type of talent they could use, and also just the cost of development. And obviously, when the pandemic started, that rule completely went out, out the window because nobody could be in their buildings. And so in these kind of small ways of working type changes, I think companies are finding a lot of change happening as a result. So what are some of the pitfalls or things to avoid, right? Where does the process and the implementation of scaling innovation go wrong? You, you know, what, what I see where it goes wrong is that there's no clarity of the objective of what we're trying to accomplish, or that goes by the wayside too early in the process. And I think that need to always keep it front and center about what is it we're, we're wanting to accomplish here is so important because that otherwise it takes such a meandering road. And by the time, if anything is delivered, it is night and day from the original objective. Now, it doesn't mean that objective might not you know, shift along the process, but I think making sure that we have clarity in why it is we're doing the work and what we're looking to deliver as impact is so important. I think the other thing is looking at diversity in teams. And we, we know about many aspects of diversity, but I think one, one approach that isn't always considered is how do we start to mix people who would never normally come together and try and solve a problem in the same room? For example, I was working with a a group in the water industry and they have this group of hands-on people who are actually in the trenches laying pipe and they're incredible innovators but they don't see themselves in that light they're just like well i just i needed something done so i just solved the problem and i moved on and i think the learnings that they have every day from solving these problems hands-on and seeing what goes on in the field would be fantastic to bring together with a traditional innovation team or with a group of executives and have them talk about approaching these problems, how it manifests throughout the organization. And I think that's, that's almost an aspect that we don't look at when we bring teams together for collaboration and problem solving. Yep. 
I was going to say, building on your point around being clear on the objective, I think it's really important to be clear what you should be really rigid around and what you should be really flexible around. So I think it's really important to be rigid around what's your objective, what are you trying to solve for, you know, what's the problem for the customer you're trying to solve, but be flexible about all the other pieces. I think the word implementation sometimes has that connotation that what we're trying to do is realize that thing we had in a PowerPoint slide six months ago. And that's not actually always the case because those things will change. The other thing I think is really important compared to a lot of other types of efforts within companies is building the organizational support around an effort. So I think typically what you'll find is that, you know, for a project to be successful in a company, an established organization, you need to have sponsorship. And that's definitely really important. You need to have one person who's going to be really making themselves accountable for making this successful and, and there to help fight for it. Uh, but I think with innovation, it's actually not enough to have that. I can think of quite a few examples where we had all the appropriate sponsorship for an idea, but then that person left the company. And if you don't have the broad-based support for it, then basically that thing dies because there was really only one person who was fighting for it most of all, and they're no longer there. So I think to your point, Carla, around innovation being everybody's business, you need to make sure that you, within the everybody, you have enough people who are providing support and belief in that idea so that even if there are organizational changes, the thing will actually keep moving forward. I like that. Yeah. Thank you. So folks, we started the discussion trying to address the question, how do you scale innovation? How do you find that balance between discipline and disruption? Carla, you laid out a five-step process to scaling innovation. And there are so many other golden nuggets in your uh, recent book, Rethink Innovation. Jeff, I love the term that you coined that introduced us to the innovation heaven, where, um, you know, the place where ideas that didn't come to life go to die, right? Um, and we talked about reducing the population growth of innovation heaven. And um, I'd like to summarize the five steps that, that folks can start today, uh, that organizations, that leaders can actually take in order to reduce the population of innovation heaven and to scale innovation. The first, which is loud and clear, is create clarity. Get a clear understanding of what are we solving? What does innovation mean? Put it in everyday language. And then how is innovation actually gonna help solve that problem? The first one is create clarity. Second one, we touched on it several times throughout the discussion, is democratize innovation. Make innovation everyone's business, as Carla says, and as Jeff says, in order to beat the corporate antibodies to innovation. And you do need organizational wide support in order to democratize that innovation versus only having leadership support. The third uh, piece we talked about is to develop an innovation portfolio. It's not just about making sure that you have the right incentives to scale innovation. And it's not just about one idea. 
but it's about taking a portfolio approach to innovation, very similar to the way you do kind of financial planning. The fourth piece we talked about is creating a balance, a balance between the company's strategy and autonomy. What you can be, what you should be rigid around and what you should be flexible around and make sure that you put the right governance in place in order to create this and maintain this balance. And last but not least, in fact, it's one of the most important ones is to focus on the culture side. Carla, you talk about people process technology um, as you know, the three key things that are needed in order to scale innovation. And the people side, as you rightfully said, is quite often not as emphasized. And it's not just about age, experience, and confidence, what you mentioned. Leaders also need to encourage diversity of thought, mindset, and skill sets in order to scale innovation. So hopefully folks found this informational, helpful. Thank you so very much for Carla and Jeff for joining this conversation. And we look forward to um, our next uh, episode of uh, Innovation Moment for some uh, additional inspiring discussions and thoughts. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Carla. Thank, Thank you so much. much.